All right, everybody, let's um, let's get started a little bit early, if it's okay. I need a little extra time tonight uh, because I have a lot of material to cover, and I really want to try to get it done, if it's okay. I'm happy to see all of you. I uh, hope you've had a good day. Uh, we had a really good trip um, out into Canada for a few days. And then we spent the past weekend with a wonderful church in New York City in the borough of Brooklyn. I uh, got to be part of a lectureship there on the book of Acts. And I'm glad to be home. Um, Sean Michael said when he walked in uh, from vacation that vacation is great, but it really makes you appreciate being home. Uh, and that is so true. I will have to leave again on Saturday. I have a gospel meeting I'll be doing out in Indiana. Uh, the family will not be going, but I'll, I'll have to be gone for a few days. Uh, it is gospel meeting season, so I'll, I'll be leaving uh, this weekend for a meeting, and then I'll be home for a couple of Sundays, and i got to leave again uh, for another meeting out in Charlotte in mid-April. Uh, so keep that all in your prayers uh, as, as, as I'll be trying to help some of God's people in some other places. We are going to be in lesson number 12 in the book tonight. Lesson 12, I want to thank my dear friend, Brother Mitch, who always does such a wonderful job teaching. We have shepherds here who do such a good job in teaching God's word. I appreciate the shepherds, appreciate Mitch for covering lesson number 11. Very important lesson about the silence of God. Over the past couple of months, we've had uh, some lessons about the inspiration of the scriptures. We've talked about how God communicates with us through the scriptures wrong attitudes that people have about the scriptures and the authority of the scriptures. And then we started digging deep into how to establish Bible authority. And we looked at things like uh, direct statements and examples, binding examples and implications. We looked at generic authority, specific authority, had some lessons on aids and additions, and then Mitch just covered the silence of God and how God's silence speaks volumes about what we should be doing and not doing uh, today as his people. Now, beginning tonight, we're going to transition. We're going to transition and we're going to start talking about the distinctions that the Bible makes as we get ready to wrap these classes up in the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about the distinctions that the Bible makes between individual Christian action and church action. I want to spend several weeks talking about that, the difference between individual Christian action in local church action, many of you know that this is a subject that is widely misunderstood by religious folks today, even members of the Lord's church. This is a very misunderstood subject, and so we want to take the next several weeks, and we want to consider this subject very carefully. We want to talk about why it's so important, why it's so important that we have a good understanding of this. In fact, tonight we're going to talk about the church and what the church is. I think before we really start digging into the distinctions the Bible makes between individual action and church action, let's spend a class or two or maybe three just talking about the church and making sure we have a good understanding of what the church is. Before we do that, let's bow our heads. Let's have a word of prayer. Will you pray with me, please? Holy Father, we are so thankful, our God, for you blessing us, Father. Uh, to be together, Father, tonight to open up our Bibles and study and grow together. And I pray, Father, that you will bless our hearts, that you will bless us to have open hearts and receptive hearts to the word of God. 
and that we will study and learn together, Father. And we pray for our young people who are in here and who are having classes in other parts of this building. We pray that your hand of blessing be on them and their parents and their grandparents and the Bible class teachers tonight. Also, please, Father, bless our shepherds who lead this church. We ask these things in Jesus' name and amen. Okay, so if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to have a, just a couple of times tonight where I'm going to open the floor up for a few comments. So just please wait for that. Don't, don't raise your hand uh, prior to that because I want to keep my train of thought. And there's a lot of things I want to try to cover in this particular lesson because Brother Greg is going to have some classes he's going to be teaching in the next couple of, a couple of classes. And I, and I really want to set him up for lesson 13 if I can. So the title of our lesson tonight is the universal and the local church. We want to talk a little bit about this before we start diving into the distinctions the Bible makes between church action and individual action. So I do want to use this moment just to kind of uh, ask you a question and want you to really think about this question. And I want you to answer it if you're going to answer it with just one statement, not two, not three, not 40, just one statement. Okay. Just one statement. If someone puts you on the spot and they ask you to describe the universal church, the universal church of Christ with just one statement, what is the universal church? What is one statement you could give to describe the universal church? Who wants to answer that? Uh, Brother Lance, start us up, please, sir. Okay, so you're saying that so the word that comes to your mind is spiritual. I think that's a good I think that's a good word to use there, because a lot of times when people think about church today. It's not spiritual. It's physical, particularly think of a building. So so the first thing that comes you want people to understand is that it is a spiritual entity. Very good. Anyone else? Brother Mitch. Yes, sir. The body of God and Christians. Wonderful. Mitch says the body that God adds Christians to. That is absolutely right. Acts 2 verse 47 proves that I like that. I like it a lot. Anyone else have a, a statement? Go ahead, Brother Don. Both the living and the dead add this ministry. So both the living and the dead are a part of the body of Christ. So you're thinking about all of God's people. Okay. Anyone else have a statement that immediately comes to your mind that you would use to tell people what the universal church is. I know we got more than three people here who can tell people what the church is. Brother Stan. It's the universal church is the one church that all Christians worldwide belong to. Brother Stan is a good one. Brother Stan says the universal church is the one church, not, not many different denominations, the one church that all Christians belong to. Absolutely. Brother Greg, yes, sir. <laughs> the universal church will meet for the first time all of God's people in heaven. I like it. Uh, Brother Mike, and then we'll move on here. The church that Christ died for. I love it. Those are good statements. I agree with everything, with every statement every one of you made. I love them. Here's something else to go with those things in addition to those wonderful answers. When people ask me, what is the universal church? This is what I say. It's the people of God. It's the people of God. 
That's what the church is. The church, going back to Lance, it's spiritual and it's people. And that's something our culture misses, don't they? When they think of church, they think of a building. But the church is people. And it's not just one person. It's a bunch of people. Like all of you said, you're absolutely right about that. So here's what I want you to think about as if you give me some time to, to do some teaching here. God has always had a people. You understand that, right? God has always had a people. God had a church, even in the Old Testament. He had a people. And his people in the Old Testament, his congregation in the Old Testament, was Israel. The people of Israel. But in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, the people of God are Christians. It's like y'all said. It's Christians. It's disciples. The church is the people of God. That's what the church is. And so in the Bible, you know this. And y'all, many of y'all brought this up. The church is referred to as many different things. You know, we put on our sign out here. Church of Christ. And that's something we do. So in our culture, we don't get mixed up with the denominations. There's a reason we do that. But you know that in the Bible, the church goes more by more descriptions. This church of Christ. There's a lot of different things we can put on that sign that would be scriptural. And so it's also called the bride of Christ. And Jesus is, is, is the husband. He's the, the groom. The church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians five. The church is also called holy and a peculiar people by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. The church is also called the people who have answered the call of the gospel, according to 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 14. The church is also called the kingdom, isn't it? It's called the kingdom of God. Why the kingdom of God? Well, because the people who are part of it have submitted to the king. We've submitted to King Jesus, the rule of Jesus. The church is also called the family of God. And as some of you said, as Brother Mitch said, it's called the body. It's called the body of Christ. The church is even called the brotherhood. Did you know that? It's called the brotherhood. Look in your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation, which many of you know is the translation that I preach from, that I teach from. But in 1 Peter 2 and verse 17, the apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 17, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So in addition to submitting to our government and honoring those who lead us as far as government goes, the Bible says we are to love the brotherhood. What is the brotherhood? Well, the brotherhood is the church. The church is the brotherhood. And if you have believed in Jesus Christ and repented of your sins and been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you're part of the brotherhood. You, whether you're a man or a woman, if you are a Christian, you are part of the brotherhood. You are part of the universal church. But the question I want you to think about, don't answer out loud, but think about it, is are you part of the local church or a local church? Every Christian is part of the brotherhood, but not every Christian is part of a local church. I met a lady several years ago when I was preaching in, in Florida, and, and she visited a Sunday or two, and she wanted to meet with me. We didn't have elders at the time, um, and she wanted to meet with me, and she wanted to call some shots. 
She had a sister there in the congregation. She wanted that sister out of the church. She said, this sister did me wrong a long time ago, and you need to get rid of her. It's either her or me, she said. And I said, who are you? You just showed up two weeks ago. This sister's a member here. You're not. So you need to go work that out with her, but you're not even a member here. And she says, what are you talking about? There's no such thing as church membership in the Bible. I'm a part of the church, and so I can go anywhere. And I'm a member there, or I'm part of that. She didn't believe in a distinction between the universal church and the local church. She said that was unbiblical. And, and believe it or not, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians believe that. They don't understand the distinctions that are made in the Bible between a universal church and a local church. So we want to talk a little bit about that. If, if this is something that you, that you kind of struggle with also, I hope this, this lesson will help you with that. I'm going to go through some things pretty quickly here, and after I go through these first few things, I'll give you a chance to make some comments, and you, and you tell me what, what I missed or if there's some other things you uh, want to add to this, okay? There is a distinction the Bible makes between the brotherhood and the local church. And one distinction is this. There is a difference between the universal church and the local church as far as scope goes, the reach of it. The universal church, the church of Christ, the church that Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And he's talking about the universal church there. And the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. Death's not going to stop him from establishing his church. We see that was the case because he conquered death. But that church is unlimited in scope. It's not limited by location. And so the church, the universal church, is comprised of Christians all across the globe. All across this planet, in this life and the next life. It, it has no limit in scope. It's far-reaching. It not only reaches us here in Phoenix, but it reaches wonderful brethren in Brooklyn and brethren in Texas, in Florida, and we go to Australia, Europe, Africa, and even right now in the realm of Hades. The universal church is unlimited in scope, but the local church is limited. It, it is not comprised of, uh, of Christians in Europe or Africa or, or Asia if you live in Phoenix. Instead, it is comprised of those Christians who live in Phoenix or who live somewhere near the valley, and they've decided, they've made a choice, to come together and pool their resources, pool their money, pool their talent, and agree together to be in fellowship and follow the same leaders, follow the same elders, and work together in that location. The local church is limited in scope. And so we are part of this local church, but the brethren in Brooklyn are not part of this local church. They're part of a different local church. So there's the difference there. But another difference is also how one becomes a member. When it comes to the universal church, the Lord adds the save to his church. And we see that in Acts chapter 2. You, you know that. You've read those verses many times. Peter told those 3,000 on Pentecost in Acts 2 and verse 38 to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And verse 41 says that they gladly received that word. They were baptized. And in verse 47, it says the Lord added the saved to the church. The Lord adds. You don't have to get voted in. 
You don't have to meet in front of a spiritual board of directors of some kind. You don't have to get approval of a, of a preacher or, or elders to be part of, of the universal church. No, when you obey the gospel, the Lord does that. He adds you to the church. But if you want to be part of a local church, it's different. If you want to be part of a local church, you got to do this. Go in your Bible to Acts, the ninth chapter, Acts chapter nine. And we look at verse number 26, because after the apostle Paul became a Christian, he, he did the right thing. He says, I want to be part of God's people and I want to have Christian friends and I want to be part of a church, a local church. And so in verse 26 of Acts 9, it says he went to Jerusalem and he was trying to associate. Some of your translations say he was trying to join. He's trying to join. He's trying to join with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. So he was denied fellowship until Barnabas took up for him and said, no, he's legit. He's not the persecutor anymore. So if you want to be part of a local church, the Lord doesn't add you to that. You got to join yourself to that. You got to meet with the leaders of a local church and talk with them. And they have the authority to ask you questions and things, and they can either accept you into fellowship or deny you fellowship. You got to join yourself to a local church. And some Christians, some members of the Church of Christ choose not to do that. I've met many Christians who are part of the universal church, but they're not part of a local church. I have met Christians who have attended, been faithful in their attendance to, to worship for 30, 40 years, but they never officially joined a local church. You ever met folks like that before? I've met folks like that. And, and, and so please understand that, that the Bible makes a distinction there. And, and let me just say this, if that was the will of God, if that was the will of God that Christians not join themselves to a local church. If every Christian had that mentality, guess what would happen? You wouldn't have any local churches. You wouldn't have any local churches to read about in the Bible. You wouldn't have any local churches today. And so you couldn't appoint elders and elders couldn't know who to shepherd. It wouldn't know who to shepherd. And so the Lord asked to the, to the universal church, but we got to choose to join ourselves to one. There's also a difference in makeup, a difference in makeup. In addition to the universal church having no limit on who it reaches and where it reaches, the makeup of the universal church, as I said earlier, is all Christians. It's the Apostle Paul. It's the Apostle Peter. It's Barnabas. It's the, all the people we read about in Acts who are Christians. And it's you. And it's the people who were members here for many years and they've died and they've gone to be with the Lord. You never stop being part of the Lord's church. You never stop. If, you, if you're striving to walk with Jesus and walk in the light. And, and so the universal church contains all the saved, alive and dead. But a local church has specific saints. Did you remember when you read 1 Corinthians this week, the, what the, verse, the first verse of that book says? The Christians in Corinth. Not the Christians in Thessalonica. Not the Christians in Philippi. No, Paul was writing to that church in Corinth. Most of Paul's letters begin with identifying a specified group of Christians. First Corinthians begins that way. Philippians begins that way. The Thessalonian letters begin that way. Colossians begins that way. Jesus talks to seven churches in Asia. Churches, local churches, contain a specified group of saints who have decided to do God's work in a specific location. Let me also put this up here. There's a difference between the two in spiritual standing before God. Again, Acts 2 and verse 47 says, only the saved are added to the church. If you're part of God's family, he adds you. But did you know the local church can be infiltrated? It can be infiltrated. 
Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. In 1 John 2 and verse number 19, 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 19, John says, I'm going to 1 John, let me get that, get out of 1 John 3 and get to chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that they would be shown that they are all not of us. See, John's talking about some people who were among them, but they really were not, not part of, of God's people. And that happens from time to time. You know why? Because men are, are fallible. Our elders are imperfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. We can't read hearts. We can only go by what people tell us. And so sometimes local churches get infiltrated with people who are not really right with God. And they're just saying what they have to do to infiltrate a church. That happens all the time. It happened in the first century. It happens today. One more real quick, and then I'll give you a chance to make some comments. There's also a difference in leadership. The universal church has one shepherd, one, and it's Jesus. John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the good what? The good shepherd. And he says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And they hear my voice, and they follow me. The church, the church of the Bible, is led by Jesus and Jesus alone. But local churches, while still being led by Jesus, are also, or should at least, have men who can, we can call lesser shepherds. That makes sense? Lesser shepherds, men who don't have the authority of Jesus or even the apostles, but they've been authorized by Jesus and the apostles to lead God's people in that location because they've met qualifications and they're viewed in high esteem by the brethren. They are viewed as men who have maturity and good Bible knowledge and are very capable in leading the flock. And so the, the universal church, Jesus the shepherd, local churches led by a plurality of shepherds, men who are lesser shepherds because they follow the chief shepherd, but they have authority to lead a local body. Now, here's my question for you. I gave you five here, okay? And there was a question in, in the book, so maybe you thought about this ahead of time, but are there any other distinctions you can think of that I didn't bring up? And if you can't think of it, that's okay. Uh, but there, are there any other examples where there is a difference between the universal church and a local church that you think people need to understand or that we need to understand tonight? What's another one you think we're missing that, that you want to bring up? I'll give you a chance. Brother Mitch, yes, sir. No, that, 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 if I, that's a great point. You know, if I thought about the universal body, I would say as, as a universal body, obviously we glorified Jesus. You can't go wrong by saying that. But a local church, we're doing evangelism in this location. So we're not, we, we, we're not, we, we can't, you know, our main mission here is to try to evangelize as many people as we can. And obviously we can send support and try to help preachers in other places. But we're limited in a sense of what we can do in Africa because we're not in Africa. But we can impact people here in Phoenix because we're located here personally, personally in Phoenix. So I think that's a good distinction, Mitch. I, I like it. Uh, anybody else can use their one? Brother Don, yes, sir. Anything that you do to worship in an act of worship, we do in a collective assembly. Yeah. The universal church does not partake of the Lord's Supper. They do not contribute. You know, and on and on and on and on. So there's a, 
total disassociation of the acts of the local church, which the universal church cannot do. When we worship on Sunday, the Apostle Paul is not here, right? I mean, the, the, Lord, the presence of Jesus is among us. Paul's not here. Peter's not here. Even our brethren in Valley, at the Valley congregation, they're where they're at. We're doing what we do at, together in this location. So we give in this location together. Take the Lord's Supper. Pray together. There's a big distinction as far as worship goes. Now, when we get to heaven, we'll all be worshiping together, right? But we don't do that on earth, do we? Universal church is not all worshiping together, but local churches do. Absolutely. That's a good one. Brother Brian, yes, sir. So while, while it's important to establish what the differences are between the two, the commonalities between the two are in that we are all one with Christ. So when the brethren over at Valley are one with Christ, and we're one with Christ, and another congregation is one with, one with Christ, then we're all one with each other in purpose. I mean, that's sort of, you know, it, it it is, there is unity there, and although there is a place for both of them to exist separate from each other, right. it's not that they're so separate from each other right. that we have completely different motivations and purposes, and, and we always follow Christ. And if you're following Christ and I'm following Christ, that doesn't matter where we are, <laughs> what time period we're living in, we have so much in common because Jesus made that possible. I like that. In fact, I think that's something that we overlook at times when we study our New Testament is how while there were different local congregations in the first century world, there, there was a fellowship between them in the sense that they were all one in purpose. And, and, and Paul really tries to get them to understand that, which is why he's constantly talking about how Jews and Gentiles need to understand who they are in the body of Christ. He's telling you know, the Roman church and the Thessalonian church, and there are times even in the New Testament where we have all Gentile churches sending money to all Jewish churches. Because Paul wants them to understand that, yes, you're different local churches, but you're all one. You're all part of the same family and really have all the same purpose, even though you're in different locations. And it's an excellent point and maybe one we overlook at times uh, because we're going you know, to the other extreme when we study our New Testament. And we need to see that more. I think that's a good point. I think it's a really good point. Yeah, Brother Mitch. Yeah, no, please, sir. Go ahead. Absolutely. We see that in Revelation chapter two, chapter three. Where's that point? I don't know. God does. Right. No, that's a good. And if you want to, you just said it. Revelation two and three. There were five churches there. They were on the verge of getting their candles and stick put out. And Jesus wanted to know, I'm going to do that very soon if you don't clean your act up. And that same thing is true today. You know, there, there are churches of Christ, people who've been baptized into Christ, but they don't do right. They don't serve the Lord right. They don't use the Lord's money right. Uh, and, and really, they're doing more harm than good. And so we got to be wary of those people as a local church because they could influence some of the folks here and steal them away from the Lord. So I think there's that balance there. I, 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 you and Brian both are, are giving good thoughts there. I, I like it a lot. Brother, brother Nathan, then I'm going to move on here. Yes, sir. Man, Nathan, you made me feel really dumb just now because I didn't even think of that. But that is outstanding. 
That's outstanding. There is no big treasury for the universal church. There's none of that. That's for local churches. Local churches have a treasury. Local churches have Christians pooling their resources together to do God's work in a specific location. You don't have that with the universal church. Absolutely not. That's a good one. Let me give you a few other ones, and I'm, I'm going to move here. And I thought all of you gave great answers. I love them all. Here's some other ones I want you just to think about just real quick, and then I need to move on to the next point, then I'll give you another chance to make some comments. Some other ones I thought about was Satan's influence. Let's not forget about the devil. The devil can't prevail against the universal church. We read that in Revelation. Jesus is the conquering king, and the devil can't stop his church. The church will prevail. When the Lord comes back, when the world is over, the church prevails. But do we see the devil overcoming local churches all the time? Mitch just made the, just made the point. He just made it. That ha- it was happening in the Bible. <laughs> in the Bible, we find the devil bringing down local churches all the time, and it happens even today. But it's not going to happen that way with the universal church. He wins at times against local churches, and I, I know far too many of them that have been overcome by the devil. I know far too many. But that's not going to happen with the universal church. Secondly, relationship. The universal church is primarily a relationship of saints with God through Christ Jesus. A relationship of saints with God through Christ. But a local church is primarily a relationship of saints who are doing God's work together in a specific location. We have a special fellowship as a local church that we don't have with with, with other churches because of what we're doing together. And then thirdly, and, and Greg made reference to this and I, and I appreciate it, Greg. Assembly, and I think Don made reference to it also. You know, there's going to come a day when all the saints are going to come together, and it's going to be beautiful. Can't, I can't wait to be with Paul and Peter and James and John. We worship God in heaven forever. There's going to come a day when all the church is going to be together, but that's going to be in heaven, in a spiritual place. Now, we're just together in a physical place, a select, specific group of Christians and a physical place. And at times we lose brethren, they, they depart out of this life, and they're no longer with us. They do God's work with us in this physical place. So, so there's a difference in an assembly before God as well. One more thing I wanna say real quick, and, and I appreciate all your, your comments, and I always learn a lot from you too when you make comments. I wanna get this last section in real quick, Greg, and I think this will set you up for Sunday, Lord willing. Um, Greg may review this just a little bit if he chooses to, but I want to just say something about the local church now. We've talked about the universal church, but let's talk about us a little bit. Let's talk about our work, and this is definitely not a comprehensive list of all of our work. I'm going to miss some things, uh, but I just want to give you a few things to think about as far as our work as the Monta Vista Church, and I hope this will be helpful to our young people, to new Christians, and if you are a new member of this church. Hopefully you can see right now what we're all about. One thing we have to do as a church, and Brian made reference to it, it's unity. It's unity. It's being one. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, when we read about the first local church in the Bible, the Jerusalem church, and this is a big church, okay? I mean, we look at churches like Temple Terrace in Florida where Brother Don Truix is, and they got what? Some of y'all been there, right? And they got like 500 people, right? And we say, man, that's a big church. If you could put, if you could put a Christian from Jerusalem in a time machine and send them to Temple Terrace today, they would say, oh, they're all right. I mean, kind of small. 
That's what they, I mean, honestly, because they were made up, they began with how many? 3,000. And then when you get to Acts 4 and verse 4, the church is made up of 5,000 just males. So you could have had up to 12,000, 15,000 people when you count the women and, and young, younger disciples. It's a big church. But Acts 4 and verse 32 says, despite their size, they were of what? One heart and what else? One soul. Isn't that beautiful? One heart and one soul. They were so united, it was like they had the same heartbeat as a big church. Now, if they could do that with thousands of people, shouldn't we be doing that with 200? How much more so should we be doing that with 200? We got to be united. And you read 1 Corinthians this week, hopefully over and over again. We see one of the problems on that church was they were not united. And they had a bad reputation. And Paul says, you better get it together. You better be of the same mind and in the same judgment. And we do that when we just stick with the Bible. The Bible should bring us together with unity and our love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So you got unity, you got oneness. That's one of our works. But also worship, and Don made the point. That's one of the things we do. That's one of the reasons why we're a local church, is to come together to worship, particularly, especially on the first day of the week. And, and I've met Christians, you know, who, who say, uh, well, you know, in the Bible, we really don't read about a, a church assembling for worship. Well, you need to read your Bible a little closer. You need to look at 1 Corinthians 14. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, and I'll start with verse number 23. In 1 Corinthians 14, and, in, and this is to a local church here. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23 says, Therefore, if the whole church assembles, notice the whole church is together, and all speak in tongues, they had miraculous gifts at this time, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever and an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all and he's called to give an account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Translation, you know, how you do in your worship, it impacts visitors, it impacts guests, okay? But look at verse 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, there it is again, they're assembled. And what are they doing? Each has a psalm. There's song leaders in this church. They're men leading singing and has a teaching. They're teaching, they have a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let everything you do in the church be done for edification. So worship, we worship. And Paul under, knew they were doing that, which is why in chapter 16, he says that since you come together on the first day of the week for worship, Go ahead and set aside some money. Take up that collection and set aside some money. So when I come and see you and I'm coming for that money for Jerusalem, for those Jerusalem Christians, you don't have to be like, oh, man, let me get my checkbook. I, I, I didn't know you were coming, Paul. We don't have the money ready. No, you already got it together. You knew I was coming. You got it together because you already meet on Sunday. Take up the collection then and have it ready. That's what Paul is saying in chapter 16. He understood that Christians assembled on the first day of the week. Worship. Here's another one, and this goes with what we just said, pooling your resources. One of the big works we do is we put our money together. It's important to not miss that. You know, I think sometimes, and this happens a lot, where we're kind of fast with the collection. We put a lot of emphasis on the singing. We put a lot of emphasis on the Lord's Supper especially. Put a lot of emphasis on the preaching. But the, the giving gets about two minutes. That's not really a big deal. We put about two minutes in that. No, that's one of the big things we do as a church, and it is commanded, 
You know, we know to do, we know to do the Lord's Supper, do the Lord's Supper on Sunday because of an example. There's a direct commandment to come together on the first day of the week to give. There's a direct commandment for that. And we do that to pull our resources. The light bill, they don't give us a free lights just because we're a church. We got to pay for this. My family and I get to eat because of you. We have to have a home because of you. And we got Bible class material. We got PowerPoint. We got, you know, these pews we're sitting in. Clean, a clean building. All this stuff costs money. It costs money. And where's that money come from? The collection we take up on Sunday. That's the only way in the Bible God's people are prescribed to get money as a church. It's through a collection on Sunday. And Philippians 1 and verse 5 talks about fellowship. That fellowship there is talking about giving, helping a preacher, giving to help a preacher. And then 1 Corinthians 16 specifically talking about giving to help needy Christians, whether here or in other places. So our giving is a big part of our work. So is appointing qualified leadership. You know, Paul told the preachers, hey, help those churches get elders. Appoint elders in all those churches. Paul helped churches get elders. And then in Acts chapter 6, when a need came up with widows, the church appointed, I believe, to be the first deacons. A church has a mission, a responsibility to appoint leaders, and far too many churches neglect this responsibility. They're not even trying to appoint elders and deacons. And, and that's a shame because Paul says in Titus 1 and verse 5, churches without leadership are lacking. They, they may be God's people. They may be doing some good work, but they are lacking. They are not all God intends them to be. Another thing here, holding one another accountable to righteous and godly living. You know the passages about when a brother or sister's in sin, God gives us permission to get in each other's business. Hold each other accountable. Follow the steps of Matthew 18. Withdraw fellowship if we have to. Do those things in love so that brothers and sisters will come to their senses and repent. That's the work of the church. And then edification, edifying one another. Do you need some encouragement right now in your life? Are you down? Is the world beating you down right now? You'll feel better after you leave here tonight. You'll feel better after you spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ. God in his great wisdom created an entity where Christians who live close to each other can come together regularly and encourage each other and be there for one another even outside of a Sunday. That's the wisdom of God. So if you need encouragement, Thank God for the local church because we will encourage you and build you up. And then one more. And Brian made reference to this also, the idea of fellowship with Christ, following Christ. You know, Mitch made the point about Revelation 2 and 3, how there were churches who didn't maintain fellowship with Christ. The big umbrella over all of this is making sure we please Christ. We have fellowship with Christ. We follow Jesus and bring him the glory. That's the main work we're all about, and that's why we do all these other things, so we can have fellowship with Christ. So, real quick, is there anything you want to say about these things? Brother Gary, we, we got a minute or two. Go ahead, sir. When I was doing this lesson, I had struggled a little bit with your uh, reference from Acts 9.26, where the local church appointed elders and deacons. Mm -hmm. Because I thought that was pretty much no, that's uh, no, and, and some translations even use the word join. You know, we talk about adding and joining. The Lord adds, we uh, we join. So that that's the idea. I never looked at that verse as yeah. a, an example of belonging to. I, I think that's what Paul was doing there, Brother Gary. I think he's trying to place membership. 
And they said, nope, you're not going to come in here and kill people. <laughs> so, so we see the difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of men also. Uh, Brother Lance, then, then, we'll, uh, then Brian, I'll come to you, sir. Um, it, it's important for the individual, but it's also done as a collective, and that's the man. Yes, yes, absolutely. We do it as individuals. We do it together. And part of that is you, you pay me, and that's part of the church doing evangelism. Yep. Yep, that's a good point. Brother Brian, did you get the last word, sir? I was just going to say the 1 Corinthians 5 passage is probably one of the best passages to really hit home the importance of being a member of the local church because it was actually a punishment to push that member out of the church and not let him become a part and, and associate with the local church there in Corinth. And so if you really want to think, is that the normal situation Jesus wants us to have for us to be rogue out on our own? Right. Well, no, that was actually a punishment. No, that's, and, and maybe that's why, Brian, that some people don't want to place membership with a church because they say, well, if I can just come in here and go to church, what I can do what I want, nobody can hold me accountable. And that's an ungodly attitude. That's an ungodly attitude. Part of being a, a, part of God's wisdom with a local church is so we can hold each other accountable. And if we're not a member and just going rogue, you can't have 1 Corinthians 5. And it's to that person's detriment. It really is. Uh, Peggy, yes, ma'am. Peggy said the discipline is another distinction. God's going to separate the sheep from the goats on Judgment Day in the universal church. Right now, we do the best we can with local church discipline. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's stop right there. Thank you all so much. Brother Greg, we'll, we'll start uh, Lesson 13 uh, on the Lord's Day. I appreciate all your good comments. Thank you so much.